Who likes to get presents? See, now, Elijah does, Nori does, Ewan does. But let me tell you three, the reality is everybody else here does too. We all like to get presents. And we like to give presents. It's, it's really woven into our fabric as human beings. Regardless of what culture you go to, you find individuals are involved in gift giving and gift receiving. And when it's an opportunity to give someone a present, you know, we sit down and we want to be sure we're expressing our love or our care uh, for that individual. We, we think about, well, what would be the perfect gift? We try to think about the person, who they are, what they need. We try to come up with uh, thinking, well, this I think is what they'd want. And so we try to find that gift that really is something that the individual likes. And if you receive that gift and you really didn't want it or you really don't like it, you'll always remember it's not the gift but the thought that counts. Well, what we need to recognize is just like in our lives, we're involved in gift giving and gift receiving, the same is true in our relationship with God. And God gives gifts to all of his creatures. I mean, there is the recognition for every one of us that who we are and what we have is all because of God's goodness, God's design, God's grace, and God's gift giving to all of his creatures. As creatures, we are utterly dependent upon the creator for what he gives to us. But even more so as a child of God, your life is greatly enriched by the Lord Jesus Christ and the gifts that God gives you through him. And what is so wonderful about the gifts that Christ gives to his people is the fact that first and foremost, he is giving those gifts because of his great love for us. And he demonstrated that love by the greatest of all sacrifices in dying upon the cross. We also recognize that if Christ is giving us gifts, he is giving them to us out of the indescribable goodness of his heart. He doesn't withhold any good thing from us. He lavishes us and enriches us with the blessings that he bestows. No wonder the Psalm uh, 103 by David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. But the other important thing for us to recognize in the gifts that Christ gives to his children, to his people, are the gifts that we need. Isn't he the one that is working all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose? And what he gives us is what is for our well-being. And I'd like you to keep that in mind as we go to the book of Ephesians and in the fourth chapter because somehow we have forgotten about his goodness, his gift giving to us, and how essential are the gifts that he bestows upon us 
for our individual well-being and the well-being of his church. In Ephesians chapter 4, I want to read first verse 7, which says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. As Christ has determined, he is the one that has bestowed giftedness upon every individual who is one of his children and his followers. And then Paul picks it up when he talks about, in verse 9, the expression, he ascended, speaking of the resurrection and the ascension of Christ into glory. What does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is himself also the one who has ascended far above all the heavens, right? Isn't that what Jesus had stated as we had read in uh, Matthew 28? All authority has been given to me, be it in heaven or on the earth. And so he is in the place of supreme authority for the purpose, as it says here, that he might fill all things. And in that place of supreme authority, having gifted everyone who is a member of his spiritual body for every one of his followers, he then says, and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to the church. And what is it that he gave? Well, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all obtain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, what result? Well, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, this letter written by the Apostle Paul to the saints at Ephesus was written to provide them with a proper understanding of what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. In many ways, the book of Ephesians is one of the most profound theological letters that were written by the Apostle Paul. Not minimizing the value of the book of Romans, but there are depths of spiritual understanding given in the book of Ephesians. And similarly, to some extent in its sister epistle, Colossians, that we will find nowhere else. And in this book, he talks about the fact that the church was not just a um, 
part two in God's thinking, but it was determined by God from before the foundation of the world, even though it was a mystery undisclosed in the Old Testament, it is part of the unfolding of God's salvation purpose among men. And he has done so that God will receive the glory for the trophies of grace that he has brought together in the body of Christ. And the way in which God has worked by putting us in that one body is to break down all the barriers that divide us as human beings. And so in this great epistle, the Apostle Paul is talking about the church as the body of Christ. And how is it that it's to function? Well, it's to function by each individual member performing the task that God has gifted them and is in the process of equipping them to perform. The church is not an entity that we have discussed before that is a building. The church is not the concept of certain key individuals who are doing all the work and the rest are sitting around as spectators, maybe at times even, hey, good job, keep it up. But instead, the church is an entity in which all the members of the body of Christ are to be engaged in the work of the Lord. And as we saw last time when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and talking to them about the certainty of the resurrection and the glory that's associated with it, what does he say to the beloved brethren? Be steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. It transcends this temporal world. It has eternal and spiritual significance. And the beauty of what God is doing through the church as he is building the church is he is giving each individual member of the body of Christ a part of that great work that God is doing. And that's what Paul is describing here. And in order to provide us with what's essential, in order for the church to function as the church should, what are the gifts that Christ has given to the church? Well, notice he says here, and he gave some. The key gifts for the church, universal church, The true church, not talking about individual denominations, not talking about local congregations. We are talking about the body of Christ, the church, which began on the day of Pentecost, will continue until the rapture when Christ calls the church to himself and we shall forever be with the Lord. What has he done? He has given gifted individuals out of his wisdom, out of his goodness, and for the essential well-being of each individual member of the body of Christ. Do you understand that? And so when we live in a day that we neglect the things that God has given, when we focus more on our emotion and our experience, and we want to tell people, well, we're just part of the New Testament church, we are way off target and they don't even have a clue as to where we should be. Because what does it say that Christ has done as the supreme authority, as the head of the church, in giftedness for the well-being of the body of Christ? He gave four key gifted individuals. 
Notice the Greek structure. He gave some as what first? Apostles. He gave some what? Prophets. He gave some evangelists. And he gave some pastor and teacher. A twofold role. It doesn't say and he gave some pastors and he gave some teachers. These are gifted individuals, four gifted individuals that Christ is giving to the church. Now, if we think about these gifts that Christ is giving, I'd like you to flip over to chapter 5 with me that we can remember that what he is doing is for our benefit. First, how can we ever question the intention of his work? No greater love has any man than this than what? That one would lay down his life for his friends. And so in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul, as he talks about the beauty of the marital relationship as a visible demonstration of the relationship that exists between Christ and his bride, the church, notice he says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, agape, a volitional determination to seek the highest good and the best interest of your wife. Why? Because Christ, here's the example, for Christ loved the church volitionally. He made the determination, not what feels good to me, right? There we are in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there's any other way, let this cup pass. But not what I will, but your will. Who for the joy set before him, the joy of knowing he was honoring the Father, the joy of knowing that he was doing what God had committed him to do, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised its shame. How can we begin to question the kind of committed love that Christ has for the well-being of his people. Not only that, but notice that he is doing it with the intention that it is for our benefit. Verse 26, he gave himself for the church that he might set her apart. He might sanctify her. He might make the church a unique entity like nothing else. And in order to do so, he cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And so the dirt and the filth and the corruption that is true of all human beings has been dealt with by Jesus Christ. And for those that are his, there is now how much condemnation? None. There is therefore right now, not hopefully when I stand before him, but there is right now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. He's cleansed us by the washing of the word. And in doing so, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory. What is going to be the glory of the church? This multitude of individuals who God now, as Christ is building his church, are being called out of every race and kindred and tribe and family on the earth, bringing them together in unity as one body 
who at that time will all reflect the splendor and the beauty that belongs to Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? That he might present to himself the church in all of its glory. You understand what God's doing in your life today if you are one of his children? He is transforming you day in and day out more and more into the image of Christ. Or as Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthians, he is at work within you, changing you from one glory to another level of glory to another level of glory into the image of the Lord. And when we stand before him, we are told we'll see him just as he is because of what? We will be like him. And all of the virtue and all of the splendor that is true of Jesus Christ will be reflected in every one of God's people. Now, if that's where he's taking us, what is our situation when he brings us to himself? We'll notice back in chapter 4 what he says. Actually, we probably ought to remember what he said in chapter 2. You don't need to turn there, but as I was thinking about it, it's good for us to remember something even that precedes what he's going to say in chapter 4. For you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't good people that Christ decided, I'd like to have them with me. You were a child of wrath even as the rest. You might have been a moral child of wrath. You might have been an ethical child of wrath. Or you might have been a despicable child of wrath. But the reality is, for you or for me, we all started out the same place. Children of wrath, even as the rest. And how did we conduct our lives? We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. We were satanically controlled. But the God who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together in Christ. Why? Not because you sought it. How many people seek God? No, not one. Not because you deserved it. How many are righteous in the sight of God? No, not one. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So all of a sudden, pride is removed that no one should boast before God. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So as we begin to understand the working of God in building the church and where we are in that process, we have to first recognize where we started. We were dead in sin. But the God who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead, made us alive. And the reality is that if anyone is in Jesus Christ, he or she is what? A new creation. What happened to me? Oh, the old's been done away with. And what's happening in my life now? All things are becoming new. He's transforming and changing me. Not only do I need to understand where I came from, and that I am where I am by unconditional grace and mercy from God. 
But I also recognize that when God brings people to himself, he is bringing a great diversity of individuals to himself. And the beauty of biblical Christianity is God isn't just making us clones of someone else. I shouldn't be thinking, I wish I could be more like, and you can put whoever's name you want to put there. I hope you are never more like whoever's name you want to put there, unless it's the Lord Jesus Christ. If God wanted two of whoever it was you wanted to be more like, he would have made them. But the reality is, in the body of Christ, God has given us great diversity in our backgrounds, in our personalities, in our experiences. And he brings us into this great entity called the church. He has also gifted every one of us. And the giftedness that he's given to us is not something that we determine for ourselves. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians to try to correct their misguided thoughts that we ought to seek certain spiritual gifts, he made it very clear that in the body, the spirit distributes to each individual as he wills. Your giftedness and all about you is according to God's good pleasure. And as we have been seeing, that if I understand that correctly, then our desire ought to be, Lord, that you would use me and make me a blessing in the lives of others as you have given me occasion to perform. And the third thing that we need to understand about our condition is we begin as silly, foolish children. God in his grace was pleased to bring my parents and my brother to himself without my knowledge while I was in college, but before me. And there were a couple of occasions where my brother and I had some religious debates. And as is typical in most of those debates, I certainly wasn't concerned about understanding anything that he was saying. I just wanted to win the argument. My brother saved a letter that I wrote to him after God and his grace brought me to himself. And that letter began with, now I can write to you a truly inspired letter. What a fool I was. First, I didn't understand biblical inspiration. But second, I was of the misguided persuasion. Now that I'm a Christian, I know it all. And sadly, in the American culture, we fail to appreciate no matter how prominent somebody is, no matter how much a celebrity someone might be, no matter how influential someone might be, we all begin the Christian life as children. That means we still dirty our diapers. That means we still have a faulty view of life because we think everything revolves around me. And I want to promote my importance 
One has said the real manifestation of maturing in Christ is moving from man-centered, a man-centered orientation in life to a God-centered orientation in life. And God has given the gifts that will ensure that that takes place. So I say, well, how is it that in the American church we can have such pathetic, if not at times, heretical teaching? How is that the music that's being produced today so often is trite and at many times unbiblical? Because if people have certain talents, I was like this as a non-believer, now here I am as a Christian, and I want to promote the abilities that I have. Failing to realize I'm still a child, and my thoughts need to be matured. And Christ has given the gifts to ensure that our thinking is what will promote the well-being of the body and enable us to be involved in ministering to the body in love that the body is building itself up. And what is it that he's given? Gifted individuals. Now the first two, the apostles and the prophets, and by the way, I don't ever find that the New Testament teaches there's a gift of apostleship that's different from being an apostle. It isn't true. An apostle was someone that personally saw Jesus Christ, that for the most part was with him during his earthly ministry. Someone called by God to fulfill a given function and role. And no wonder Paul in this same letter says the church is built on the foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. If Christ is building his church, he's not laying a foundation today. That was part of the responsibility of the apostles. My theology says I think he's shingling the roof. It's soon that he's going to come. So where do I find the ministry of the apostles? I'm reading part of it here. The word of God. The word of God is given for the benefit of God's people. An apostle was one sent with authority. An apostle was one who was equipped by God to have a specific role. In many ways, the apostles were the Moses of the New Testament. And God gave them not only the understanding of the truth that the church needed to hear, but the signs to accompany it to confirm their apostolic role. And just think, for example, of the Apostle Paul. I mean, we can stand in amazement of the understanding that he had as an individual. And we can sit there and say, well, part of that was because Paul, prior to becoming a Christian, was a Pharisee. He was well seeped in the Old Testament scriptures. And here it is God bringing Paul to himself and appointing him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Do you know what God did with Paul before he began his apostolic ministry? He took him into the desert for two years where he could be personally taught by Jesus Christ. How do we begin? We begin as children. 
and we need to recognize God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not as our thoughts. No wonder, as we saw earlier, the Apostle Paul writing to the Roman church and preserved for us today said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Because that's genuine worship, right? That's your spiritual act of worship. And do not be conformed to the age in which you live, but be transformed, how? By renewing your mind. You start your thinking like the ways of the world. You have your thinking like a children, like children. And what we need to do is grow and mature. Along with the apostle, the prophets, and these were individuals who received direct revelation from God. Not just feelings and thoughts, but these were individuals like Luke, like Mark, who laid the foundation for the church that we would have that foundation today. Then he says, and he gave some as evangelists. And I personally think the first two were part of the foundation of the church, and the other two gifted individuals still continue throughout the history of the church. And God causes, calls individuals to be the bearers of the gospel. The word evangelist means a bearer of good news. And these are individuals not like we grew up in our culture thinking of people having revival meetings all over the place, but who went into uncharted territory and brought the message of good news, the salvation in Jesus Christ, and with the whole intent of purpose that they would be gathered together in a local body to worship the Lord together. And with them, pastor teachers, And with that, I think God throughout the history of the church has been very pleased to give key individuals who had a role of stirring up the church in uncharted waters and equipping the saints and teaching them that's beyond any local church. You know, I think of individuals of the Reformation. They didn't just serve a local church. I think of individuals, the church fathers, and how God used them beyond the boundaries of their local church. And there's individuals we can probably think of today that have a much greater ministry than just as associated with their local congregations. And what is God designed for each local church? Oh, faithful men who have been taught by others that they in turn can teach others. Or what did Paul tell Timothy and Titus, which I would take are some of these pastor teachers who were carrying on the apostolic ministry? Put elders in every church, deacons, individuals who have been tested, who have demonstrated a commitment in their walk with the Lord and to whom others will follow. And so he's given us these gifted individuals that we can be equipped, that we can have what is essential for our well-being as we walk with the Lord. So what is it I need to comprehend I think first and foremost is for us to recognize that not only do I need the Lord, but I need you. When part of my body isn't working, I'm sick. And in the body of Christ, God has so worked 
that he has gifted each individual member of the body of Christ that we are not only dependent upon the Lord, but we are interdependent upon one another. And if a church, a local assembly, is really manifesting the New Testament concept of this called out assembly, we're individuals who are coming together because we recognize my life is enhanced by you. And I have the privilege of being used by God to benefit you while we all recognize our devotion upon the Lord. I think we also need to realize we need to grow. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If we are going to grow up into that fullness of the stature of Christ, I need to know more of what he's like. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, you know what motivates and drives me each day? That I may know him. Paul wasn't motivated by how many, you know, notches can I put in my belt? How many things and works can I do? What flows out of a life devoted in wanting to know God better is that it permeates all of who I am and begins to touch the lives of others. I need to have the knowledge of God that is given to us in his word. Isn't that why he's given us this word? Not just to give us little principles to live by, but God has given us this word that we can know the splendor of Christ, that we can understand what he has done, that we can begin to see how great is our God. Because when you face the difficulties in life, regardless of what you intellectually say, how you handle those difficulties in life tells us of just how well-founded you are in the greatness of God. And from that, what is it you're to be doing? Well, we're going to be receiving gifts, but we also need to be giving gifts, right? Because it's more blessed to give than receive. And the gift giving in the body of Christ is that I think, Lord, how can I benefit, enhance, encourage, strengthen my brother or my sister in Christ? Children want the toy for themselves. In the church, many adults still think it revolves around them, which means we're very immature in our thinking. Maturity in Christ is esteeming the needs of others as more important than my own. Maturity in Christ is not my will, but yours be done. Maturity in Christ is, Lord, here I am. Use me. And to realize my daily mundane tasks take on a new spiritual dimension because I am serving 
my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, as I seek to be a blessing in the lives of others. Oh, what good gifts Christ has given to each one of us and to his church for our well-being that we might be equipped to do the work of the ministry in love, building up one another all to the glory and praise of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your truth and how I pray that you would give us that settled conviction that the greatest privilege, that our greatest responsibility is to know you better and to be used of you to benefit and bless others. All to the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen.